You're listening to The Journey Podcast. Have you ever felt like you've lost yourself after a life-changing experience? Join us today as we hear one incredible woman's story of rebuilding her identity after trauma. Some listeners may be triggered by this content and listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Petra Brunbauer, and with decades of experience with sadness, pain, anxiety, and stress, I finally figured out how to leave all that behind. And this podcast shows you how to break free permanently so you can reclaim your sanity and find the self-esteem and energy to go after the life you desire. With real talk about mental health, holistic healing, and the tough journey of coming out the other end, This is The Journey Podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Today is part of Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK, and this is a special bonus episode. Trauma can have a profound impact on our sense of self and identity. When a life-changing medical incident occurs, such as a serious illness or injury, it can disrupt our sense of who we are and what we value. This can be a challenging and sometimes painful process, and it can also provide an opportunity for growth and healing. In this episode, our guest shares her personal journey with trauma and identity loss after a life-changing experience. We explore the challenges of rebuilding a sense of self in the aftermath of trauma and the importance of self-care and self-compassion. Our guest also provides insights into the healing process and managing fear and anxiety that may come up. Sudi Barre is a mother, wife, wellness and small business coach, expert in barriers to access to healthcare for marginalized populations, woman with lived experience, advocate for sex and gender equity in care, speaker and blogger. Here is my interview with Sudi Barre. Hi, Sudi. It's so great to have you on the podcast. I've been looking forward to getting to chat with you, and we will talk about the long healing journey after experiencing a shift in reality and identity today. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello to your audience. Yeah, and we're so glad to have you today. For starters, do you want to share a little bit about yourself and your story? Oh, sure. My background is in social work, so I spent many years serving marginalized populations and newcomers navigate the healthcare system and life in general from relocating. But when I went through my own medical journey, that was um, very interesting because everything that I knew in advocacy, I had to really put it into the lived experience process, right? When you advocate for someone else and when you're advocating for yourself, it's quite different because you're often doing they and I'm helping them. And that's me and I'm helping, I have to do this for myself, right? There's a lot of courage building that goes into that process. So I got married, I got pregnant, thankfully I was looking for a baby. So in that process, I had a very easy pregnancy. And then shortly after the delivery, I experienced sudden pain in my upper back, between my shoulders and my left arm. And I described the symptoms to my attending nurse. And then she said, oh, it's just probably uh, air blockage because I had received an emergency cesarean. 
So I was like, okay, I'm not an expert. I believe you. So I'm going to try and walk this off. So as I tried to walk it off, I just couldn't breathe. And I'm like, this is something more than just something that could have been fixed by just walking in circulation. So I pressed and pressed and urged my obstetrician to come. She was teaching at the time. She finally came and she did an ECG. And we found out that I had massive heart attack. It was so massive that the entire hospital staff was in my room because it had never happened at that hospital. And it was a low-risk delivery hospital. And I had to be rushed to an emergency surgery. And guess what? The hospital didn't have a NICU because it was a low-risk birthing hospital. So they're like, well, we got to call someone to pick up the baby because the baby's fine, but you're going to surgery. That was very dramatic and very stressful as I had just about no family members other than me and my husband there in the city. And uh, so I called coworkers and friends and they came and helped us out as I went into surgery. Long story short, that surgery that was uh, supposed to be fixed exasperated my condition. I ended up having seven heart attacks, went into heart failure, ended up needing and requiring an artificial heart, which is called an LVAD. It's a bridge to transplant. And that started giving me strokes. And then we expedited through transplant. And just to find out, I am not a candidate for transplant. I had 2% chance of accepting a donor organ. So that is how my journey into healthcare started. Mm -hmm. So after all of that, I was thankfully my heart, because I had no pre-existing heart conditions, and I was relatively very healthy, my heart uh, was able to regain some of its function. And they said, well, we can't keep you on the LVAD, and you're not a candidate for transplant. We're going to take you off this machine, but keep the pump inside the heart and see what happens. So this is where I'm at. I'm still in the waiting room of see what happens because there's nobody else like me in terms of this prognosis. And I was number 17 in Canada and the condition is called SCAD, C-A-D, and a spontaneous coronary dissection. And it is 80% mortality rate, shocking for a condition that's under-researched and underdiagnosed, and 70% survival rate if caught on time. I was lucky that he got caught in the hospital. If I had been discharged that day, which was the plan, I don't think I would be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. I really appreciate you recounting what happened to you and sharing that with us. And I, for one, am very glad that you're here with us today and able to share that journey with us. So thank you. And thank you for hanging on through all of that that was going on, and then actually coming here to talk about that. Thank you. Yeah, honestly, thank you, because I find it is my, I don't want to say duty, but I really want to share this message because I'm a statistic that should not be here. I had 3% heart function, and that in itself is a blessing that I'm here. So one, I want to advocate about women's heart health and brain health, and two, the importance of self-advocacy and healing and the process of healing post-discharge uh, after sudden chronic medical emergencies. Because it completely shifts your identity and who you think you are or your capacity as a person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about that it shifts your identity, I would imagine that today you're not the same Sudi that you were before all of this happened. And you went through some major changes, both physically and mentally. Can you talk a little bit about how this whole journey has affected you? One, I'd like to say that the journey is unique and different for everyone. The one I went through, I didn't know anybody else I was going through something similar. 
And I really relied on research and trying to find other lived experience patients or individuals that had gone through similar. And I had two. There was a lady in the U.S. who was 68 and was on an LVAD. She had been decommissioned and was finally able to swim. And I thought, oh my God, that just sounds so awesome. Because when you're on the LVAD, you're not allowed to have a shower more than once a week because the amount of strain that it has on your body and the high risk of infection, because there's a wire going through inside your body, there's a hole, and it's connected to your heart. So it's very dangerous. And it's electricity at the same time, right? Because obviously the machine is constantly being charged. So that, and there was a young guy who was on Ellen DeGeneres, who was post with the LVAD was doing workouts. And I'm like, what? Oh my goodness, how do I get there? So those are my inspirations. So the reason I share is because I would love to be an inspiration for someone else who is going through similar issues where they're like, oh my God, there's no research for my condition. I don't know anybody within my vicinity or my network, but if they hear this audio or hear this podcast, then they'll know me. So in terms of the shifts and identities that one, you go from somebody from my perspective, for me, I went from somebody who was healthy, fit, jogging at nine months and very fit, right? And healthy. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to wrap my tummy and I'll be back, <laughs> back to who I was. I'm going to be have a plus. There's a little baby that I'm going to take care of. So when I found out that all of this happened, I couldn't be a mother for the first year because I was in, in and out of the hospital. Two, the food that I enjoyed, the healthy lifestyle that I have, I couldn't continue it because the amount of vitamins and antioxidants and all the nutrients that was in there was bad for my current state. If I continued to eat it, I would have blood clot, blood clot means stroke. And everything that you identified as the things that made you who you are quickly stripped away. So now who are you, right? These are the questions that I help people navigate. Mm -hmm. And did you find anything in your journey thus far that helped you navigate those questions and that helped you reconcile maybe a little bit of this new identity into feeling better and healing, even though at the moment there's not an answer for what is happening. There's no solution out of for the moment, but is there anything that helps you, that helps you in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah. The first thing is what I did is I went back and I was like, what brought me joy, right? I was an avid traveler. I can't travel now. But that doesn't stop me from having investigations and going away within my state or my province, having local trips and planning and getting excited about that and visiting new areas in the city. So I started with that. Once I started doing that, I realized, yes, I have a lot of new things that I have to identify with now that are part of my identity, but I can reconcile them by adding to joys that I have previously enjoyed back into them. So it might not be that you're allowed to swim, but you can still go to the pool and dip your feet in, you know, I gratitude and savoring the little moments that really helps in help me in the recovery process and the healing process. And when I talk to other fellow lived experience patients, that's also what they say is holding on to those good days, the memories, as well as the things that they can still do, because no matter how able or unable you are, there is still an ability. If your mind is functioning, you have dreams and imagination, all that stuff is there to help you heal. So that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. So you have to find ways to use what you love and actually build ways and find ways maybe through videos or doing, like you said, small steps of the things that you can still do and really enjoy those and savor those moments. And it's a good advice for anybody who's listening 
Because very often we forget to savor those small moments every day and we take them for granted or we overlook them. So that's actually very empowering advice for anyone out there to savor the moments and to really enjoy them. And when you talk about savoring that and the gratitude, do you keep a journal or anything like that? Do you also journal or do you basically live in the moment with those things? I journal and I also take, if I can, I take footage. Like mm-hmm. I take images. If I'm walking, like one time we went to a greenhouse because I couldn't leave the hospital. So, but there was a greenhouse very near. So we went to the greenhouse and just ruffling the leaves and those sounds, I would record them. And at night, I would just listen to them. Like those very little, little things. I just made it a point to really actively engage in my living. And I think that really went a long way because there's so much hardship that you have to deal with. And it's a huge burden. But if you look at the big picture, you're still alive. And you don't know, and medical knowledge doesn't always know if you're going to get better. Because I had 3% heart function and illnesses that are very, very aggressive, like cancer. I have friends that were given months to live and they sold and left everything and said, you know what, if I've got three months left, I'm going to go enjoy it. And guess what? A year and a half later, they're still here. So we just never know. So I think the power of savoring is so healing and I think it's just not discussed enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're in a very unique situation and your condition is very under-researched and not very well explored. And there are some other conditions like that as well. But do you feel in some of the days, are you afraid? Do you feel fear of what's to come? And how do you deal with that when emotions like that come up? Oh, definitely. It took me, and that's why I say it's a healing journey, because for the first two years, I just was so afraid because I it was literally drilled in me that you can't fall. There's a huge list of things I couldn't eat, things I couldn't do, positions that I couldn't really lie in. Or even when I'm sleeping, I was very awake because I'm like, if I sleep on my right side, I'm going to cause further injury. If I get too excited, the blood is going to drain. And there's just because there's no pulse, right? I had no pulse. I had no heartbeat. So there's just so many things I was afraid of. So even when I got decommissioned, that fear really stayed with me for a very long time because it was like, you know, when you go on those glass bridges and you see the ground under you, but you know you're secure, but you don't believe it until you're like, you're tapping with your foot. You're like, is this, oh my God, is it going to crack? Is it going to crack? And I had to talk about it. I had to be like, you know what? I'm afraid and verbalize it and share with my doctors and support system. I'm afraid. This is what I'm afraid of and articulate it. The more I articulated it, the more I was able to process it and acknowledge it. And then later on, over time, I was, it wasn't giving me a panic attacks anymore. Like before I was getting panic attacks, it was messing up with my mood, right? Because I'm constantly on edge, right? It was a constant trigger. So I had to really work through that. And the way I worked through it is, one, acknowledging it. Two, knowing that, yes, my fear is real. It's not a fictitious fear. These things really did happen to me. They can probably happen again, but am I going to let them stop me from living? And I think when you really confront that, then you can walk past it because otherwise it's sort of like you avoid it, but it's there in the shadows, still whispering here, oh my God, this could happen to you, you know? And it's true. It did happen to me. So it's not a fictitious fear of like you're afraid of snakes, which you live in an apartment building, you know, that's like 70 feet high. Where are the snakes going to get you? So that kind of thinking helped. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And where do you find 
support if you're in a situation like you're in. I know we'll talk a little bit later about what you offer for services, but where can you find support if you don't have, say, a lot of family or you don't have friends that really know about what you're going through? Where can you find support for this? Yeah, so what I did is I really, really had to research. And I'll be honest, it was one of the reasons that it took me two years plus to really my healing journey is that there were no structured support systems there. So I had to piece together resources from a variety of different areas. For example, there was a help group for people struggling with, it was like AAA, right? So Alcoholics Anonymous, I was like, what can I benefit from here? Then I would go to people with dealing with grief and I would listen and be like, what can I gain from here? And then I would go to CPT and I'm like, what can I gain from here? So I constantly went through Peter Levine, like you name it, every expert in the field of healing, I was using the information, I was piecing it together. And in that process, I was able to find bits and pieces that really helped me in my healing. I'm like, this worked for me. So I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that. And it ended up being my own custom treatment. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would encourage anybody to do is that they really research every little piece that they're feeling. If they're feeling anxiety, identify everything that you're feeling and look for niche expertise in those areas and have that be the foundation of what you're building towards. Mm -hmm. And because you mentioned that this journey is very individual for every person, so not every person is going to experience trauma or medical conditions in the same way. So I suppose this is really valuable advice because everyone will be looking for something a little bit different. There might be things, of course, that you're feeling and experiencing that other people are experiencing as well, but there may also be other things that other people don't experience. It's very, very important to find that individual help that will help you on your healing journey. And I'm wondering a little bit about what you took away from this journey so far and how do you work with people now? Really what I've learned is, and what I try to instill with individuals is compassion because compassion is so profound. It's underutilized. And the reason I say that is that when you go through something very traumatic like I did, it's so hard to find compassion in, you're more focused on the why me, the how, all the other questions, but to say, I feel for myself. I'm going through something hard and I deserve tender care and I'm going to request it and I'm going to even demand it sometimes that I get this because this is what I need. That takes a lot of work. And I think a lot of people don't want to, they're shy maybe, or don't think that they deserve it. Mm. But that is what you need. You need a lot of compassion for yourself. And everybody around you needs to show compassion towards you. So if it's not happening automatically, I would sit down with everyone, which I did. And sometimes it didn't work. And those relationships, I had to let them go. But say, you know what, this is what happened to me. I'm very in a vulnerable place and I need compassion. And this is how you can show me. These are the things that compassion is for me because everybody identifies compassion uniquely, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the love languages. Everybody has different love language. So I did that and I would encourage everybody to do that. So once they do that, they can have perspective of, is this being compassionate to myself? Am I nurturing myself? And when the more you ask those questions, you're talking to your inner self. You're doing inner work of acknowledging that you too deserve to be loved, cared for, and you're going to be the champion of your own voice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful. And you touched on something very interesting as well, 
And that is finding the meaning in what happened to you and asking the question, why me? Why did this happen? Is that a very difficult thing to deal with? Are there a lot of times that these feelings come up where you really just wonder why that happened to you? And how do you reconcile that? That's a very good question. And I encourage people to ask those questions because the one they are very difficult questions. It's not a question that you're going to ask yourself and have an automatic answer. Mm-hmm. It took me years, I'll be honest, to get to the why and how and what caused this for me, right? And a lot of times when you peel away all the little layers, it goes back to childhood trauma mm-hmm. and it goes back to childhood wounds that got undressed because we don't just start off. We don't wake up one day and we become adults, right? It took years, decades to be where the ages we are and to be at the states in life where we are. So when you ask, why me? You have to look back all the way back as much as you can remember. And if you can't, there are things you can't remember. Uh, Look for resources of how to get those answers. And then I would advise and encourage individuals to take an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. Don't get lost in the emotions of what happened. Try to have more of a macroeconomic perspective, which is you're looking at all the pieces and how they move and how this happened. Then in that process, you're able to digest that certain circumstances led to these results. And from that, with the compassion, it helps you piece back together, oh, this person this person and this person in this environment that I was in was under this particular stress, and this is how it rippled onto me. And that ripple effect got me here. And sometimes that's not true. But I find that it often is because even in a car accident, it takes more than one vehicle to be a part of a entire crash, right? Mm-hmm. And if you say, oh, I just had a car accident and nobody was there. I just me and I hit a pole or something happened. Your state of mind that day was not just focused on that car. And in that car, you were just not focusing on your destination. There were things and subconsciously thoughts in there that were affecting your attention. Mm. So I think that, that that level of intuitive capacity to assess and objectively remove yourself emotionally, that's where the hard work comes in. And that's why it takes such a long time to heal because these things happen to us and, and it hurts. And it's hard to confront why. The why takes a long time to answer. Mm. Yeah, and I imagine that sometimes people might never find the answer to why. And so they have to find a way to live with that and reconcile that within themselves. And could you go over some of programs and services that you offer so that our listeners can get a feel of how they could connect with you in their healing journey? Yeah, I have a website called Wellness Rain. I created that website because I wanted to share the roadmap of how I was able to recover or heal myself. There, I offer coaching as well as a course of how they could, any individual, regardless of what they're going through, to the best of my capacity. And I don't assume to know everything. There are experts in a million different fields and niches of knowledge, right? But what we want to do is identify who are the experts we need, what resources are out there, and how can we effectively utilize them to create our own healing path. I'm more of a help navigator. I help Mm -hmm. navigate people in their journey. Wow, that sounds very interesting and so supportive and caring. So thank you for explaining that. And we, of course, will be linking to all of Sudi's offerings in the show notes as well. So be sure to check there for ways that you can connect with her. 
And this has been another incredible episode. And I hope our listeners have connected with your story and with your experience, Sudi. Thank you again so much for sharing your journey with us and talking about what you went through and being so honest about the feelings that came up and how you navigated all that. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm very thankful. And uh, honestly, Pastor, I think the work that you're doing and the work that your podcast is doing is so needed. It's such a perfect timing. And when I'm looking for podcasts that I want to be a guest on, I'm looking at the positive intent. And I see a lot of positive intent in yours. So thank you for having me. Oh, that's so kind of you to say. I do hope that we inspire people with every episode to find something for themselves, something positive that they can go after. So yeah, I really appreciate that. And thank You're you welcome. so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day and take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen in. If you enjoy the Journey podcast, please subscribe, share on social media, and leave us a five-star review. You can find more of the Journey on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and the Journey blog. Sending you love and courage and see you next week.